Welcome to the Your Home Podcast, brought to you by O'Brien Real Estate, where property advice is on the house. Yes, and welcome to the podcast, Jane Neild, in the studio with Stav Ambazidis from O'Brien Real Estate. It's been a month, Stav, a lot feels like it's happened in the property market since then. We've got a couple of special guests as well that we're going to introduce in just a moment. Uh, Stav, I always ask you what you had for breakfast to check our microphone levels. You sound like you live in paradise, your little Greek real estate paradise, where you pluck fresh fruit and vegetables from the backyard for breakfast. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I am very Greek, as, as you can imagine. But uh, I think we need to do a podcast at some stage where I can take you around my garden. Yes. And I've got one of our guests that's coming on is George Columbaris in a couple of months' time. So we might actually talk about landscaping, adding value, uh, and being sustainable. And being able to be in your little home, a slice yes. of paradise, whether it's an apartment with a couple of tomatoes and zucchinis on the balcony or something a lot more intensive. Uh, well, of course, this podcast is all about helping people to get their head around the current real estate market. Perhaps you're a first home buyer. Perhaps you're thinking of investing. Perhaps you just want to know whether it's the right time to maybe downsize or upsize the family home or like me, do a tree change or a reverse tree change, sea change, which happens to be a thing. So Stav is, of course, one of three O'Brien uh, co-directors. He's one of the best auctioneers in the state. He dabbles in property himself. And as we mentioned, he's Greek, so real estate is in his DNA. And we have two guests with us today. I'm going to introduce Alice Stoltz, property editor and real estate expert, property expert from Domain. I'm going to let you introduce Phil. So let's firstly say good morning to Alice. So great to have you on the show. And I see you on Channel 9 on the block on the Today Show. So welcome to your home. Thank you, Jane. And thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And nothing excites me more than talking about houses and property and trying to help people make sense of what's going on. So hopefully we can do that today. And Stav, I'll let you introduce Phil because he came with a pretty big rap when he walked into the studio auction coach, am I right? <laughs> yes, so uh, Phil Phil DeFagley is Australia's best auction coach, mentor, advisor. He's, he's a great ear uh, when I need um, to reach out to someone. Um, and I'm so pleased to have Phil in the house here today because uh, he'll have a lot of value and benefit in some of our discussions we're going to have because he's seen it all. So uh, there is a lot of uh, people out there that have been in real estate five, ten years uh, but when Phil got into real estate, there were no computers, there were no mobile phones. We used to wear double-breasted suits with pleats in our pants. And uh, we used to put people in our cars, which is something that doesn't happen today because everyone tries to funnel and compress sell and take everyone through open for inspections. So, But he's seen it all. So whether it's the 90s, the 80s, the 70s to today. Hello, Welcome, Phil. Phil. Thank you, Stav. And it's great to be here with Alice and Jane. Uh, really looking forward to it. So uh, uh, an exciting start. So uh, let it all happen and bring it on. Yep. So we're going to get Phil asking a couple of questions today because he's full. He's a, he's a minefield of questions. But I've got to say I'm very starstruck today and very excited because when we decided to do this uh, podcast, I actually wrote down a list of guests that I wanted and I reached out to my friends at Domain and the number one person at the top of the list was Alice. So welcome, Alice. Oh, thank you, Stav. It's delightful to be here. 
Now, Alice, people will recognise you, like I mentioned, from, from the TV, but also through flipping through the pages of Domain or perhaps, like me, it's one of those go-to sites on the app on your phone. Can you just give us a little bit of a background about how you got into real estate? Is it something that runs through your family, runs in the blood, or have you come at this via a slightly different career path? Well, Jane, I suppose it's probably the latter. I um, joined Domain around 2014 and I'd been living over abroad in Europe for a bit over 12 years. And I have a, an obsession about sort of doing whatever is in the, the zeitgeist of the place I'm living. So I lived in Paris for all that time and I reported on um, fashion and food and architecture and property and lifestyle trends. And then a role came up at Domain and I thought, I don't know anything about property. And then I thought, well, I kind of actually know what sort of how to unpack what makes people tick and what people gravitate towards, I suppose. So um, my husband and I moved our children back to Australia and um, we moved to Melbourne in 2014. And I learnt so much. The great thing about being in property is that agents and um, many experts in the industry are always so generous with information and they love talking and imparting their knowledge and that. So I kind of learnt from the ground up. And the more and more I sort of lent on my, I suppose, journalistic skills are just understanding asking people, what's your main issue here? And I suppose I try to sort of bring a layman's perspective to it because I think we can all get very caught up in data and analytics and really complicated things about it. But, you know, in its primary sense, having a roof over your head is a basic human right. And I just try to bring it back to how can we make as many people as possible have the joy of property ownership, I suppose, and navigate their journey as clearly and easily as possible. Alice, Let's go back. When was the first time you bought a property and, and what did it look like and what advice would you give someone today of uh, insights, what to avoid, what to do, what would you have done better? Well, Stad, the first time I bought a property, I was actually a 40-plus homeowner. So my husband and I, having not lived here for so long, we came back to Melbourne and the property market was at its peak. So it must have been around... Um, 2015, 2016, we ended up buying and we used a buyer's agent because we just sort of knew no way to enter the market. And we suddenly, we had three children. So I didn't, my first home buy a house, which should have been a little studio, one bedroom place as an investment property, suddenly had to accommodate these lumpy children in a great school zone next to a train station near our families, which we'd moved back to Australia for. So I kind of needed everything, but I obviously had that smaller buying envelope. So I had to learn so much on that journey. And in the end, I I bought what was the right location for us in the right school zone for us. So I feel quite passionate about ensuring people are in great school zones while also being near a train line. I love that advice of if you do nothing, live near something that you can get to in terms of great infrastructure and amenities nearby. And I bought a completely unrenovated house. It's a rambling Edwardian house, which only had one loo, no heating, no cooling, nothing. Charles Dickens would have been happy living in it, let's just say. <laughs> and um, and we thought, oh, we'll renovate it, of course, like so many Australians do. And then, you know, you just sort of bit off more than you can chew. The envelope to renovate was so expensive. So we had to live through it, live through sort of, mushrooms growing out of the walls and that sort of thing, and then eventually renovated. But it took some time to get to that point. Um, and now I absolutely adore the house and I can't imagine ever leaving it. But I do think location is a key piece about it and also understanding what you're willing to negotiate on. And for me, I always knew I wanted to have a house with a bit of character to it. I love um, old I love old things and I love improvising and renovating and being clever when you do it. So um, Value add. That's exactly right. Yep. And doing the hard work that a lot of people have put off doing themselves. Um, I really enjoyed that challenge. Interesting something you mentioned there. 
buyer agent, you employed a buyer agent or engaged a buyer agent, in Australia, it's 80-20 is the split between real estate agents and buyer agents. Around the world, whether you go to the US or other parts of Europe, it's one-to-one. Mm. Um, and I think that's a shortage here in Australia that we don't have enough buyer agents because we have a lot of listing agents, a lot of managing agents, but a buyer agent, what do they, what do, they do for you? Don't laugh, Stab, but it kind of ended up being a bit like marriage therapy because I think often when you're <laughs> yeah. a partnership and you're buying a property, you've got two people with competing interests who kind of philosophically believe in the one thing but can often go in quite different directions. Mm. So it helped, I suppose, bring my husband and I together and I also think probably get us across the line. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and keep yeah. reminding us about what our mission was here, which was ultimately yep. to own a house. Yep. So it helped me compromise. It helped so my husband compromise. So you'd go that compromise. way, that way, then they'd bring you back in line. That's exactly right. Yep. So it kind of um, added a framework and a discipline to mm -hmm. our buying process. So for us, it was invaluable. And my husband and I are quite different people. So I just it helped us bring things into line, I suppose. Alice, there's a question we get asked so often as um, – should we should we buy first? That's we've actually got our home. Should we buy first or should we sell first? What what what's your take on that? What what would you advise the uh, the the person out there that's going through that uh, that that thought process at the time? Yeah, it's a great question, Phil. I think a lot of it comes down to the state of the market. Mm. Um, I know many people at the moment who have um, a very good friend of mine actually just sold last week and they bought prior to selling. And they probably literally have had six weeks of no sleep. You know, when you're selling in a cooling market, it's very tough, and particularly if you're an upgrader. And the cooling market is a great time for upgraders because, of course, you know, if you're buying and selling in the same market, things aren't usually as, as tough. But I think knowing what in the precarity around interest rates at the moment, it's very, very hard. You've got to have a sort of solid stomach and nerves of steel to hold out knowing that you might not sell straight away. So I think personally I would always recommend um, – selling first and then and then buying because I think knowing that knowing what your um, financial capacity is is absolutely key because I don't believe that people should be overstretching themselves to points where they feel deeply uncomfortable and it can end up ruining a marriage and you know it can mm. ruin lives if you overstretch too much so that that's probably my my take but um I think in a hotter market it's obviously e easier to do that though isn't it because you can see that people suddenly get this massive windfall at auction it's a volcanic auction um, things go absolutely bananas. And then, you know, they can, it can run away and you can get a price that you've never dreamt of. Mm. Mm. Alice, I'm actually interested in the fact that you bought an unrenovated property because we do hear in the current market or, you know, for the last couple of years, younger people getting into homes kind of want it all. They want it finished. They want it ready to move into. And there is criticism from perhaps people of an older generation that in my day I had to buy a one-bedroom unit, like you said, one bathroom, unrenovated. Do you think people maybe need to compromise more when they want to get a foot into the market and think, well, you lived through it with three kids and perhaps a husband who was like, what have we done? Have you got any advice on that sort of angle? Absolutely, Jane. And I think also at the moment in the market, it's unrenovated properties are the ones that you got have got really good buying value at the moment. Uh, yep. And I, it, it sort of pains me that um, particularly young buyers can't see that and they're not doing their research into seeing what stock isn't moving quickly. And at the moment, because of the inflation pressures on um, supply and construction coming through the market, because of the long the bottlenecks in times to, to get trades and that. But the reality is renovating can take years. It can take a year of living in a house and working out what you need to do another year to actually, you know, get designs done or get a drafts person in and find a good builder, another six months to go through council or something and then, then longer to get through get your finance approved. So you can see how long that period takes. And I think if 
if, if you can make that compromise, though, and end up having a house that you absolutely love, that's reflective of you, you know, if, like me, you do love older properties, great, that is for you then. I think it's a great way of doing it. And I think sometimes, you know, you look at shows like The Block and, and Pet, you can see the appeal of turnkey properties. You can see the appeal of someone else doing the hard work for you because renovating is not easy. It's it's challenging. It pushes you. It, it, it's testing. Um, but at the same time, the reward can be wonderful and it can be a much more affordable way of having the house you want if you're willing to take your time to get there. And I think when it comes to property, it's a long-term play. It's not going to be a quick fix, a sugar hit that you get what you want quickly and think, that's it, it's ready for me now. I really believe that good things come to those who wait. And I think the more you put your energy and your heart and soul into it, the greater the reward at the end of it. Yeah, definitely. Now, you've got your finger on the pulse um, around the Australian property market, Alice. What are some of the myths uh, or some advice you know you want to dispel or some advice you want to give to people? I mean, prior to us get coming on air, we talked about a couple of uh, bits of tips. Uh, on Saturday with Craig Hutchison and Liam Pickering, um, they asked me some, for some tips. And one of the tips that I gave them, it was something that you, you told me about, Phil. You said, if your kids are going to bid in an auction or if you're going to go bid in an auction, go and have a look at a few other auctions by that company or by that auctioneer. Now, why would you do that, Alice? It amazes me that people turn up to bid at an auction or even sell their own home without knowing the auctioneer's style. Because I'm sure, as Phil would tell us, there are so many different styles. And even when you're selling, you need to ensure that the chemistry is right at the person who's going to be auctioneering your property. But I think you can understand, is an auctioneer, are they kind of that sort of bare um, auctioneer where they're kind of an aggressive auctioneer? Are they a much more um, conciliatory one? There's so many different styles out there. And when you're bidding, you need to know how those bids are going to be taken. Are they going to make you feel amazing, like you're king of the world, or are they going to make you feel like you're really not sort of stumping mm. up much here? And it will, that's how they'll be extracting money out of you effectively. So I think doing your research before you buy and sell is absolutely crucial. The other tip I've got in, I just think it helps to go to as many auctions as possible, follow what a price guide is and look at what actually happens at an auction. Because mm -hmm. I think when you understand how many bidders at an auction, you can understand that people who have sort of those wounded underbidders who have missed out at auction, where do they go? We know where they go. They'll go around the corner next weekend to the next house that's on the market. Mm. So when you start plotting that, and I really encourage people to get sort of a very basic Excel spreadsheet and plug all that information into it. You don't have to you don't have to pay for it, but you can just start understanding what's actually going on in the market and see what property prices are doing and see what agents are being accurate in their pricing, see what's passing in. And it also means that when a property does pass in, you've got more knowledge to negotiate with that agent and with that vendor after an auction, knowing that you've really got your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the market you're buying in. Yeah, no, great answer. And and on Saturday, uh, we had um, a, an auction where two um, first home buyers were bidding. They had their parents there, so they had the whole family support there, and they were the only two bidders on the day. So there was nine bids in five minutes, and you could see they both wanted it. Their, their children had actually chosen their bedrooms as well, so they had young children, so it was quite emotional. Oh. And I had to actually dig deep and say, look, if you miss out on this one, what is your backup plan? And at one stage, they were bidding strongly against each other. I said, look, I can see you both want it. I can't see you living together. So one of you has to give me another bid. <laughs> so it, it's quite interesting. And you had to slow it down. That was the other thing I realised. You've got to read the room, know who your audience is, and slow it down when you're in a suburb like I was on Saturday, and then speed it up uh, at another auction where we had, uh, I think I told you, 28 bids in eight minutes. Huge. It was just rife. And that was in Edithvale, beachside Edithvale. So... Any myths you want to dispel, Phil, about auctions? Well, 
what I want to dispel is it holding back. I I can't see why people go to an auction and don't do anything. I if, if, the the property's been on the market for four weeks and they get there and then the the whole thing just there's they play their, cold, their cards close to their chest because they think that's the best bidding yeah, strategy. Yeah, so. it's it's the only. So auction what is the best the, bidding strategy? What should you do? Well, the it's the only auction in the world when the auctioneer calls for a bid and nothing happens. It doesn't happen in stock. It doesn't happen in cars. It doesn't happen in art. So I always find that it actually put your bid in first and really stamp, you know, uh, own the territory and really make it make a statement. And then it, it may not work all the time, but it, it, it works a number of the time. And it's surprisingly how often the first bidder buys a property. It's, it's a lot higher mm. than everyone thinks. Mm. Well, and the other benefit there is, Phil, is that it gives you, if the property is passed in, that bidder gets first right at negotiating after sale. And I'm amazed at when someone just walks up and doesn't expect to bid, they just think, oh, well, I'll just put my hand up and have a go. And that poor potential buyer who hasn't said anything because they've been too, I don't know, trying to be coy, has missed out on negotiating post-auction. So if you're really serious about a property, you're better to say something rather than nothing mm. and then the property gets passed into you. I mean, you're under no obligation necessarily to buy no. it if you walk in and think, change of heart, mm. but at least you're in the driver's seat. You're in the best position. But if yes. you're willing to buy a property, you, we always say, Phil, if you're willing to buy, if you're there to buy the property, make sure your strategy is that you are the highest bidder at the end. Whether you're above reserve or under reserve, your strategy should be to be the highest bidder at the end. Mm. Exactly. So, now, That's right. Alice, you mentioned um, interest rates and, you know, I bought a property a couple of years ago and uh, the Reserve Bank had said, oh, there won't be any interest rate rises for a couple of years. Noticed Westpac came out and forecast perhaps that there would be rate cuts in 24, 25. It's just a minefield out there. Are you sensing that this little downturn we've kind of seen and Stav can run us through some of the stats, you know, between this month and, and a year ago, there's certainly less properties and the clearance rates are down. Are you sensing it's going to be a sort of short little bottom out here or is that really hard for someone like you to predict? Look, I think it's hard for a lot of people to make sense of what's going on and to cut through the noise at the moment. I do think that Westpac stat about interest rate cuts, it's still a long way away for a lot of people to feel they can sleep easily at night knowing that so many people are doing it really tough at the moment. I think we need to hold out hope that we've probably only, hopefully only got, you know, two rate rises left potentially. But I think if we've learnt anything over the past four to five years, it's that <laughs> that idea of predictability has kind of gone fallen by the wayside in our, in our time at the moment, hasn't it? And anything can sort of happen. I do think the encouraging thing about the rate rises, this is sort of the, the bit that, I, that kind of gives me a bit of hope, is that it has allowed our market to sort of correct itself in some ways. And we saw just supersonic growth during the pandemic. I mean, it went absolutely bonkers, the market. And it became so unaffordable for so many first-time buyers. And I think, you know, like all of us, particularly parents, it's heartbreaking watching, thinking, how are my children ever going to afford this? Um, so I think what it's done is these price corrections that we're experiencing at the moment and the softening of prices is actually bringing a bit of hope in the long term that our market will be more stable and more normal. I think what's challenging is sort of shifting from a market that's gone, been so crazy and so sort of hedonistic to actually more run-of-the-mill, um, a thousand auctions on a weekend. I mean, that, that, that years ago, that was a Super Saturday. But we became getting this point where we had almost 2,000. Was, that was the norm. But I think we have to sort of remind ourselves, all that volatility is not actually really good for anyone, really. Maybe the banks. Um, but I actually think 
to try to get more and more people into home ownership and let them have that Australian dream, we do need more stability and a bit more of a sort of, you know, ho-hum market is actually good for a lot of people. So, Stav, do you want to just run us through a couple of those stats, you know, just a little snapshot of what is the uh, first couple of weeks of autumn 2023? Definitely. definitely. And I want to put a little bit of perspective into into this conversation because I have a lot of our agents ringing me saying they're making a lot less sales than last year. They've overcommitted themselves uh, and it's difficult to sell property in, in Melbourne. And I always say, look, it's not difficult to sell property in Melbourne. Try selling property in Kiev or Baghdad mm-hmm. or you know Afghanistan. Melbourne is still a great place to sell real estate if you do things correctly. And when I look at the stats and I look at auctions uh, for February, there were in Australia, there were 7,500 auctions across the across the country versus 6,800 last year. So, you know, we're actually up 600 properties, which is up 9%. We've actually got more auctions across the nation. Uh, Victoria, though, was down by about 6% in auction numbers that we called. This is where it gets interesting. Interesting. The clearance rate in Australia last year was 85%. This year, it's 62% in February. Victoria is about the same. It's about 64 this year, opposed to 84, uh, 82% last year. Total sales numbers, this is... You know, where it comes down to. Last uh, This year, we had 23,000 sales across Australia and 28,000 sales last year. So we're down about 20%. Victoria, because a lot of us are in Victoria listening to this, we had almost 6,000 sales this February. Last February, we had 7,900. So we're down about 26%. Putting that all into perspective, when we go back three, four, five years ago, these numbers are actually up. The figures that I've actually mentioned of February 2023 are higher than 19, 20, 2018 and so forth. It was an anomaly. It was a huge anomaly during the COVID period where we had record sales, record prices and record numbers. This for me is a normal market. Now, if anyone wants to work a hard market, try working in 95, 96 when I was in real estate. We were doing 30 auctions every Wednesday night in in-rooms. And if you didn't sell that Wednesday, it's okay. We'll see you next Wednesday because we'll auction your property again. And properties were going for 38 grand, 50 grand, 75 grand. Um, so this is now a normal market. We're just analysing it to last year and the year before and then feeling depressed about it. It's a great market. And being the optimist that I am, yeah, it's always a good time to buy and sell. Um, and I think it's just got to come down to your situation. Okay, it's, what's your situation that's what should be you know, defining whether you buy or sell. I think also what's interesting is watching people adapt to change. And I think change can be, it's quite jarring. And you can see that the time it takes people to sort of crunch through things. And I think what we're seeing at the moment is that vendors have now got the memo and many are adjusting their price expectations. I mean, everybody thinks that their house is worth much more than what anyone else, an outsider thinks they're going to pay for it. But I think you can see vendors actually now thinking, you know what, if I am fortunate enough to be able to buy and sell in the same market, it does actually come out quite evenly in the wash. Um, And I think, you know, even first-time buyers being able to borrow less, you know, ultimately, is that a terrible, terrible thing? You look at the debt that this country has in property. I I actually wonder, is it a bad thing that we're kind of, you know, correcting ourselves and actually making it more, people aren't overextending themselves more than what they actually have to, I suppose. So I think what we're seeing at Domain particularly is vendor expectations, like discounting is actually, you know, vendors are actually now pricing accurately. Even three months ago, there was a lot of volatility and, and places weren't 
doing what they, they weren't selling quickly because vendors sort of had their head in the clouds, I suppose. But I think now that, that now that they've got that memo, things are a lot more stable than what they have been. And Phil, as one of the senior members of the uh, podcast today, are you talking to friends and, and perhaps colleagues and family members who are thinking, oh, we've had this house in the outer suburbs or eastern suburbs for 40 years, sick of mowing the lawn. Is downsizing something that you're think, you know, hearing is is definitely still a trend at the moment? Well, especially for my my, my age group, yes, it's 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 a common it's it's a common discussion, but but it's a, it's where to, and that's the uh-huh. that where to next, which I'm really interested in. Where or Alice will think about uh, to for where do you think of the suburbs that uh, if you're looking to buy, where where do you where where would that be? And then also, now two folders. What do you think are regional as well? Where where do you think it's going there? So, firstly, where where would you buy if you were going to downsize, or we going to upsize, or we going to in? Where 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 would that where would that be? I love the idea of these. What we used to call them bridesmaid suburbs, and I think you know these areas that you might not be able to afford that key area that you want. Go the next suburb out, yeah. and I think again when when Stav, you're asking what's what's what are my tips? I think it's it's astounding to me that people aren't pounding the pavement in areas where there is more affordable property. Trying it out for size, going there with the kids on a Saturday, going to the local park, checking out the local coffee shop. Looking, walking past the primary school and actually seeing what these places are like because I think people are quite fixed in their mindset of thinking, I want that post-COVID, what they perceive to be cachet or something, while going one suburb out, you know, in what we call like a zone two or three of Melbourne can actually be fantastic. And that's why I think it goes back to things like being on a great train line, ensuring you can get to the city without it costing a fortune in tolls to get there. And that's the thing that we saw with, with regional moves is that some people were going quite far out and now we have what you mentioned at the start there, Jane, that reverse tree change of actually people thinking, my gosh, it's costing me a fortune to commute. My boss is making me come into the office four or five days a week. I'm suddenly in the car four hours a day. This is not what I signed up for. So I think, as I said, you need to look at property as this long-term exercise here and thinking, how long will this house last me? At what age do my children need to go to the next school? At what age might I want to change my jobs or, or, or want a house that's easier and I can do a lock and leave deal with it? And I think you need to be quite perceptive about that and have that long-term roadmap to ensure you're buying a house that will stand the test of time or else you are going to have to transact more often than not, mm-hmm. you know. And we saw that with the block last year with um, in an area like Gisborne, that people who were priced out of Macedon and that, you know, which has gone, gone bananas in terms of price growth regionally. Gisborne was a lot more affordable and it actually was also quite close to the airport. So we suddenly saw buyers coming in who might have been a fly-in, fly-out or were commuting to Sydney or something, one part of the one owner of the house was, but they could buy a house like that, a bit more affordable, a lot more affordable than what Macedon was, and it's got great schools there, it's got great transport, and it's close to the airport, and they can get acreage. So, again, it's about that compromise that people can make, I think, and ensuring the house will stand them the test of time. Mm. Yeah, the uh, reverse tree change, sea change is definitely a thing I've been hearing of people in, you know, I'm sort of an hour and a bit out of uh, Melbourne to the west, but hearing of people going, yep, I just can't cop this lifestyle now, especially that the drawer is back on to be in the city. But I guess then that gives a value proposition for someone who has bettered down their work that is more remote and is more flexible and doesn't include coming into the office that you could actually be looking to move out now while perhaps there's more properties up for grabs and they're not being snapped up in six days like they did when I was uh, buying. (laughs) Completely, Jane. And there is, heat has left the regional market and compared to what it once was. Like during COVID, it went absolutely, it was sizzling. And now that that's, that's 
eased that sort of sizzle that we've seen out there. And you can see, and also we had this problem in Australia that many locals in regional areas were also priced out of the market. So they've gone further inland. So this sounds like a bad thing, but in many ways, I actually think it's kind of opening up our country more and opening up more opportunities of places to live, um, you know, around the goldfields area of Victoria, for example. Mm. So what it's done is made people just shift their focus and look differently. And we know that when people move there, often that puts pressure on getting that infrastructure right and put puts pressure on council and government to actually address issues of getting that train line working, getting the, getting that high street buzzing again. And I think that's I think that's a wonderful thing. If we can just sort out whoever's in charge of the internet quality on some of the regional train lines, because people like me clock on, start working when you get on the train. It doesn't quite work when the uh, hotspot dies. <laughs> Who do I petition? Who do I lobby? Stav, any thoughts before we wrap things up today? No, look, I'd like to confirm, um, you know, Alice's thoughts. That there, there was a huge push out into regional, but we're still seeing a lot of buyers buying into areas like the goldfields, uh, Geelong. Geelong's becoming, you know, mm. a huge second option. And again, I love that bridesmaid suburbs. Mm. You know, people that can't afford Melbourne, they move into a second city being Geelong and all the infrastructure there, whether it's university, schools, shopping centres, it's all there. And Hos- I think... And, and hospitals. Like hospitals. Geelong, I mean, Geelong is absolutely on yeah. fire at the moment and it's not hard to say why. And it's got amazing schools there, mm. I think. So it's kind of got everything that Melbourne has to offer, but it is still more affordable. And I don't believe yeah. that's going to last in an area like Geelong, given just how close it is to Melbourne. Oh, definitely. And you can see all the roadworks that are, that are going on towards the west to assist that. But you're right, the hospitals, the beaches, the waterfront, the, the restaurants, the cafes, it's becoming just a second Melbourne. So um, the peninsula, look, has gone through the roof. I, 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 we moved there in 1977, and I can tell you right now, you can't touch the peninsula, but you can touch the Bellarine and Geelong. Mm. And, and Geelong also, this is a much more softer angle, but I, I, I spent a lot of time down in Geelong and um, I love that they've now got beautiful um, lifestyle and homeware mm. shops and that. You sort of know that when a place starts having amazingly great restaurants, fabulous cafes on every corner block, plus beautiful designer homeware stores, you think, okay, it's really, we've arrived, haven't we? Yeah, we have. We have. So I guess the takeout from today, what I'm really sensing from you, uh, Alice, is research, research, research whether that's researching your auctioneer or the auctions in your area, or just like you say, go to an area, hang out with the kids, walk past the local school, find out what the vibe is of a particular area, because you might be really surprised that a a suburb that you've excluded from your domain search could actually prove to be a real winner. Yeah, and I think, um, and it, it might not be for that that property that you buy then, but maybe that will be the place that you want to downsize to. And I just think, isn't that what life's all about? Like exploring mm. new things and being really curious and also looking at different property types in those areas. We know, Stav, I'm sure you've got certain areas that are just have trademark properties, mm. but that's the wonderful thing about particularly Victoria, but all over Australia, we've got such a diversity of um, property types and architecture and that. And I think mm. it's a wonderful way of having something for everybody if you're willing to be flexible mm. in the way that you approach buying and selling. Yeah, and I, I love what you said about, again, the bridesmaid suburbs because on I'm going to paraphrase you. Last week uh, on the Today Show, you mentioned there are markets within markets. Mm. And I see it a lot where people are looking buying into Caulfield or they'll go down the line slightly and, and go to Oakley. A lot of Greeks want to buy in Oakley. But I tell you what, you can't afford Oakley. So what they're doing, they're buying on the same train line. They might be going to Hughesdale which is the next suburb down. Um, And it's only another five minutes on the train. Um, And it's not far from where the sphere of influence is. But yeah, there are markets within markets. Some markets are going crazy at the moment. There's plenty of bidders 
plenty of buyers. Uh, there was one, you know, people aren't synonymous with Lang Warren, and we mentioned this last week, but we had an auction there which was a family home. Five families wanted to bid on it, and it went two hundred grand over reserve because it was a family home, and we had enough buyers for that property. Uh, and even though it was Lang Warren, again, not synonymous for auctions, that auction was a huge success. So research is the important thing and have some backup plans is what I'm saying to a lot of my buyers because you may miss out on this property. What's your backup plan? You've got to have a backup plan. And I think also in this market, um, there is less competition. Mm. We know that if we've, if we've got two and even if we have three more interest rate rises ahead of us, come springtime, things are, it's going to be a different market. Yeah. Like, I think we're going to look back at this period and everybody's going to be like, oh my gosh, why didn't I take the leap? Why didn't mm. I have enough gumption to push myself out there? Because I just feel that... We almost need to enjoy this slight downturn because probably it's not going to last <laughs> and um, we'll be lamenting the fact that we actually were in a cooling market for, for, some, for some time. Well, thank you for joining us, Alice and Phil. And if you are interested in having a look at Alice's absolutely stunning renovation in her family home, there's actually a wonderful article on the Design Files uh, website, which I absolutely love. I'm going to put the link in the show notes, Alice, because I think what you've done with that property is absolutely gorgeous and inspirational for everyone, I think. Oh, thanks, Jane. As I said, it was a labour of love and it we just kept having to take hundreds of thousands of dollars off the brief and... Um, we ended up doing it like under $300,000 and um, over time, but we got there in the end. If you would like to ask us a question here on the Your Home podcast, you can send us an email to podcast at sen.com.au. Stav, I'm going to put your details in the show notes, Thank of you. course, because you're always open to do an appraisal or to um, give someone a little bit of advice. And Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was great to be here. You have been listening to the Your Home podcast for O'Brien Real Estate, where property advice is on the house. And we will talk to you again in a few weeks' time. Thanks for listening to the Your Home Podcast, brought to you by O'Brien Real Estate, where property advice is on the house.